So, we've been in a series called Extreme Makeover Marriage Edition, and these are the marriages that we've looked at from the Bible. This morning we're going to wrap up. Anybody know this last one? Anybody, by show of hands, anybody heard these guys before? Okay, good. About half of us, maybe 40%. Um, they're in the book of Acts, and so if you want to get a head start, open to chapter 18 in the book of Acts. We're going to get there in, in just a minute. So let me give you the word, okay? You ready? I want this word to be bouncing around in your head. I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be wondering about it. I want you to be thinking about how it applies to my situation. Married, single, widowed, divorced, whatever. How does submission apply to me? Anybody? Okay, good. I was going to say anybody. Is that their favorite word? And I think I already, okay, good. Submission. It is not my favorite word. Anybody else? Just one? Okay. I'm not sure my, my clicker is working. Okay, so I'm about to stay closer to home. How many struggle with this sign? Come on now. Thank you, brother. I see that. Yes, okay. I knew you, Don. You don't have to raise your hand. I know you do. Anybody else? When you're behind the wheel, not a problem? Just pull out into traffic right out of the parking lot. Don't worry about it. I do. I struggle with it. Here, here's where I'm reminded of this. Um, I get on the freeway a lot on Antelope and Greenback for some reason on Highway 80. And getting on the freeway requires do you have some sense of understanding of what this sign means. Sometimes it says merger, right? Merger ahead or whatever. But it's this idea that I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to lose my lane. I have a lane. Oh, those, those traffic lights that they keep putting in on the on-ramps. What are those about? Man, I, I got to figure out what those are. So there's these traffic lights, you know, that stop you, and then they turn green, and they can't make up their mind. They're green, they're red, and then finally, okay, I can go. And you get zooming, and you put on the gas, and you're traveling down that lane, and your life is good, and then you look up, and you realize, hey, I don't have a lane anymore. And then I look in my mirror, and there's a bunch of other people in that lane. And by the looks on their face, they've claimed it as their lane. And they have this look on their face like, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you come. You know what I'm talking about? Make eye contact with those people. And they're like, all of them are going, you can come on just behind me. Make sure you come on to the lane behind me. Don't you do it. And what do we do? <laughs> we do it, right? The, that right foot gets really tired. Oh, my goodness. And it just goes to the ground. And, and out you go. And then you, and if, you, if you're successful... How many have a little dance party, have a little celebration in the car, like, woohoo, you know, I won that one. Likewise, if it doesn't work and they, and you have to, then how many have a little pity party or a little angry party? See, we really struggle with this idea of yielding to others. And here's part of why I think that's the case, because it really feels more like this, doesn't it? It really feels a lot more like, you know, here's this nice little sign that says, you know, it's, it, 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 its intent is hold the door and let them go first. That's not a hard thing to do. And yet when we're faced with that moment where I need to yield to someone else, it's a struggle because it feels more like this. It feels like surrender. It feels like losing. Yielding feels like losing. Anyone with me? It does, right? And, I, and I'm admitting that as a, as a child of God, and the Holy Spirit's had a lot of time to work on me and work in me, and yet I still find that there's moments 
We're yielding and letting someone else go first, someone else have their way, letting them have the lane. It feels like I lost. They didn't even know we were in a competition, did they? But it feels like I lost. Giving in feels like weakness. Anyone? It does. There's times where just the, you know, after that, <laughs> that long phone conversation with customer service, anybody? And, you know, and, at the, and you get all done with it and you realize, you know, and, and then this, may, this is why maybe yielding is so hard, is, okay, can I help you with anything else today? And how many want to go, you didn't help me with anything. What are you talking about helping me with something else today? Nothing got resolved. And in those moments, you know, everything within me wants to tell them how to do their job. It's only the Spirit of God that says, this is not a weakness for you to say, thank you. I hope you have a nice day. And yet everything in me feels like that's being weak. I need to help them do a better job. Submitting feels like failure. Submitting feels like failure. I think we struggle with these things because we struggle specifically with submission because of our own nature and how it goes against everything that we feel and we think inside sometimes. If we're honest, right? Now we come to church and we put, how are you? Hey, and I, oh, you want to sit? Sure, go ahead. Just move my Bible. I wasn't really planning on sitting there. That's okay. And we, and we oh, you go get coffee first. Great. And we, and, but some of us are doing that with a little bit of grit in our teeth, but we know we do that, and we, okay, that, that, but everything inside of us feels like this. Feels like you win, I lose. I want to talk about this morning from the life of Aquila and Priscilla, the beauty of submission. The beauty, there is a, there is a beauty to submission. Doesn't, it, that's not where I naturally land, but that's what I find in the Word of God. And we'll see this morning, it's what we find in those who choose to follow Jesus, his example and his teaching on how to live your life. There's a beauty to it. Now this picture doesn't have anything to do with that. I just love this picture. Isn't that cool? I wanted to, I wanted to see it on the big screen, Don, so I put it in there. The beauty of submission. Turn with me if you have your Bibles ready to Acts chapter 18. We... we jump into the Apostle Paul. He is on his second missionary journey, and it tells us in chapter 18, verse 1, our Bibles begins with this in chapter 18. After this, the events of what we know as chapter 17, and you can look at that and see what happened. After this, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. And in Corinth, he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who was the Roman emperor, and there's a picture of him, or a, a, a statue of him, they didn't have cameras. He came from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. This happened. This happened in history. We have records outside the Bible of this happening. And so what it did is it resulted in Aquila and Priscilla coming to Corinth. And when Paul arrives in Corinth, he finds this man. We're not told how, but he finds Aquila. But we are told this. Paul came to them, and being of the same occupation, he stayed with them, and they worked together, for they were, say it, tent makers by trade. Here's an example of what a tent might have looked like in that, that first century. Um, there was a big demand for tents, because, particularly because of the Roman, Roman army. They were typically made out of goat skin. And so Paul and Aquila and Priscilla 
were tent makers. That was their trade. They had gone to school or something. I don't know. And they were certified as tent makers. They knew how to make tents. Why were they making tents? That's right. Why do we go to work? Right? Why do we do things? So they could provide for their needs. And so they connect, it tells us here in chapter 18. In verse 11 of 18, it says that he stayed there, Paul stayed there for six months teaching the word of God among them. Now what happens in the part that I skipped over? Paul arrives in, in, in Corinth and he's, he, he meets Aquila. He is introduced to Aquila's wife. The three of them stay together. They put Paul up. They take care of him. They work together. They're, they're providing for their needs and they're providing so that Paul, because the reason Paul is there is to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to Corinth. Remember our studies in First and Second Corinthians? This is the beginning of what God does in the city of Corinth. And so they begin to work together, and they're providing. And Paul, when Paul can, he's out, and he's preaching. And then some more of Paul's team shows up, and now Paul just gives himself full-time to preaching the gospel in Corinth, and Aquila and Priscilla keep making tents so that Paul has the, they have the resources for this team, specifically Paul, to be able to proclaim the gospel to the city of Corinth. It says he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Jump down to verse 18. So Paul, having stayed on for many days and said goodbye to the brothers and sisters, sailed away to Syria. Okay, what's happening? Paul, after the year and a half, decides that it's time to move on. And he decides that he wants Aquila and Priscilla. He sees something in them, not their, their, their skill at making tents, he sees something in them that he wants them to join him, his, his missionary journey, and so he asks them to go with him. He says goodbye to the brothers and sisters and sails away to Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. They go with him on the continuing of his journey, his missionary journey. Somewhere along the line here, he makes a vow, and so he shaves his head at Sencria because he had taken this vow, made this vow, and part of it was shaving his head. And when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. Who? Aquila and Priscilla. He himself entered the synagogue, and he engaged in discussion with the Jews. What do you think they were doing in Ephesus? Take a guess. And this is a guess. They were making tents, right? They're, they're, they're providing for the ministry. They're making it possible for Paul to go into the synagogue and engage in discussion with the Jews. Verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, meaning he came from the city of Alexandria in Egypt, glad you're paying attention, he's an eloquent man. It means basically simply that he is a really gifted speaker. He's a very engaging speaker. He's an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of scripture. This phrase means that he knew God's word. He knew the Old Testament. That's what he had access to, and he understood it. He understood what it meant, what it taught, what it revealed, God's revelation. And so he was powerful in the use of scriptures, teaching them, convincing people of who God was. And he arrived in Ephesus. We have no idea why, but he comes to Ephesus. Maybe you heard what was happening there. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. But... He spoke and he taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. What does that mean? It means that he understood who Jesus was and what he'd accomplished on the cross and what he did in his death and his burial and his resurrection, but he didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
He didn't understand that Joel's prophecy had been fulfilled. He firsthand or through other people had exposure to John the Baptist's teaching, his ministry. It's possible that he was around during that time. He experienced maybe those people being baptized by John, maybe seeing Jesus baptized by John, but John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? Come and, and show people this symbol that your old life and your new life. And when people said, well, who are you, John, and what are you, what are you really telling us to do? He said, I'm just here to prepare the way for the one who's going to come, the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember, maybe you remember, there's a point in John's ministry where he points to Jesus and he tells his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Apollos understood this. He understood the gospel. But he wasn't aware of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew John's baptism. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Who else is in the synagogue? Paul is, right? We, already, we heard just a few verses ago. And so I don't know what their interaction was, but he's proclaiming there too. And after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately, or it could be translated exactly or the full picture, all the details. Now, I don't, I don't know. We're not given how this plays out. We know that Paul's in the synagogue, and he's reasoning uh, with, uh, with the, the Jews there. Apollo shows up. He begins to interact in the synagogue. He's preaching. He's powerful. He's a speaker. He knows the scriptures. He's got some missing pieces. And then there's Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, if you noticed, are at home making tents, but somehow they're engaged with the ministry of the gospel in the synagogue and at some point Paul or they themselves just go hey Apollos let's have lunch and they bring him where they bring him home they bring him into their home and that's significant we'll see in a minute they bring him into their home this is a practice a pattern in their life and they bring him home and they explain the way of God to him more accurately all right how many like Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla. They're introduced, me too. The rest of you, I, I'll work harder. Um, they're introduced as Aquila the husband and Priscilla the wife, and at some point in the narrative, Luke, begin, he flips it, and from this point on, including in Paul's writings, and we'll see in a minute, they're known as Becky and Kurt, Priscilla and Aquila. Interesting. If you want to know more about this couple and their marriage, we really we really have to go to where they're referenced primarily by Paul. And really, as I study this, I realize that we have the narrative that we just read in Acts 18, but really with that and what we're going to read now, what we know about this couple, here's the context. It's always the same. They're serving together. And maybe that's the, the main message that we need to get this morning for some of us that are here, and you're married if you're married the lesson from Priscilla and Aquila is that they served God together. Now, I'm not suggesting that you, in, in the church today, if, if your one spouse is working, you know, changing diapers in the nursery, you know, then the other one does too. Or one is serving junior high pre-people, as we used to call them, and then the other spouse too. Or singing and not singing. Or, are you with me? That's not, I don't, that's not a, the application. Because we have different gifts and different, different passions. But we need to be of the same mind. We need to be going in the same direction on this level. Let's serve God together. Let's make serving God a priority. 
Let's, let's, whatever circumstances we're in, whatever situation we find ourselves, we just got booted from our home. We got kicked out. Likely they lost just about everything they knew. Under the threat of death, by the way. If you didn't leave by a certain day, then they would kill you if you were a Jew, if you didn't leave Rome. We lost everything, and they, they show up in this, this place called Corinth. You know, from Rome to Corinth. There are some similarities, but there's some very big differences too. And now they're in this city. What are we going to do? This dude shows up, the Apostle Paul, and they bring him into their home. Remember that pattern? They bring him into their home, and they begin working together, and they make it possible for him to preach the gospel in a very dark city. They're on the same page. Honey, what is it? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to serve God together. If you're married, I'm speaking to you those of us that are married, if we're married, we need to be on the same page. God designed us to be on the same page when it comes to what is number one and what is most important in our marriage. And it should be serving God together. Whatever your gifts and passions are, serve him together. If, 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 one, is, if one is tired, if one is slowing down, if one is not, we're not on the same page, we don't shoot our wounded husbands or wives. We, we huddle right? Okay, what's going on? What do we, let's do this together. Some of the most unhealthy marriages that I've been exposed to are pastors. And they're out serving God four or five nights a week. They're doing what God's called them to do. And their, their spouse is at home languishing. Their kids are at home languishing because they're not on the same page. It isn't the husband and wife sitting down, and it can be the wife as well, sitting down and saying, okay, we're going to serve God together. What does that look like? We're going to serve him together. Whatever the circumstance. Well, let's wait for easy circumstances. No, serve God together. That's a little mini message. Maybe that's why some of us are here if you're married. If you're not married, if you're, if you're single, and you're, if you're, again, if you're a certain age, girls have cooties. I get that, so you're not thinking about this. But at a certain age, you start thinking about it. Please, please, guy, gal, I don't, whatever, only consider marrying someone that will serve God together with you. So, well, we don't talk about that. Then talk about that. Well, we talk about, you know, you know jobs and houses and, you know, and, and what color the, the wedding dress or the color scheme at the wedding and, you know, we talk, fine, talk about all that stuff. But don't go any further if you're seriously thinking about moving in that direction. Don't go any further until you've had a heart-to-heart discussion with this other person. Are we on the same page that when we're married, we're going to serve God together? Oh, no, that's fine for you, honey. You do, I know church is your thing. I know Jesus is your thing. You know, that's fine. I won't get in the way of that. Is that marriage going to last? No. It's not. If it doesn't end in divorce, it may still be together on paper, but there is not going to be intimacy. There is not going to be two people enjoying what God intended marriage to be. Thank you. So if you're single, have that conversation. So what we know about these two is primarily them serving together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. Paul is speaking. He's writing back to the the Corinthian church later, along with the church that meets in there. There's that pattern. Romans chapter 16. Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. Give my greetings to Priscilla. Wait a minute. Now they're in Rome. Well, that's cool. They were in Corinth. Then they were in where? 
Ephesus. They left Rome. They were in Corinth. Then they were serving in Ephesus. Now they're in Rome, the church in Rome, serving them. Greet my, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. It's almost like he misses them. Remember those tent-making days when we'd sit around, we'd, you know, the smell of goat skin and... Okay, sorry. Didn't want to make anybody hungry. Give my greeting to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. I love this. He doesn't say the, the people that we make tents together. He says the people that we serve God together. That, that couple, that woman and that man, Priscilla and Aquila, they are my co-workers in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us a little glimpse of what they did. Who risked their own necks for my life. At some point in their journey together, in their ministry, they put their lives on the line. That's what that means when you, their own neck, for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. What's he saying? He's saying if my life had ended at that moment before God intended it to end, which I'm not questioning God's sovereignty, but from a human perspective, Paul is saying, all the Gentile churches that I serve and I encourage and I proclaim the gospel to, they're very thankful that Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives so that my neck wasn't on the chopping line. You, you tracking with him? Yes. Greet also the church that meets in their... Second Timothy chapter 4. Where is Timothy pastor? Does anybody know where Timothy is pastoring? The church of? Ephesus. Ephesus. Oh, they're back in Ephesus. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Much of what we know about this family, this marriage, this couple, almost all of it, entirety, is we just see them serving God. It's the context of them serving God together. Paul would later write to the church in Ephesus, and you know these words, or at least many of us do. In chapter 5, I'm jumping in the middle of a sentence, and he's, he's, he's speaking of what it looks like to encourage each other to be the church. Let me suggest that he's writing what it looks like to be in submission to one another. Do we have power struggles in the, in the church? We do. We do. We're people, right? Who's in charge? Who makes that decision? Who, who picked the color of these chairs? You know, who picks the crackers for communion? Come on. Who, that, that juice, right? Who, who, who picks the coffee? The cream, I mean, you, who, who picked the air conditioning company? I mean, we, we have all kinds of, everybody's looking up the ducks now, sorry, that just popped into my head. Who picks the songs? We have power struggles all the time in the church because we struggle with yielding. If somebody would just ask me, I would tell them how to do that. We have a problem. We struggle with yielding to one another, not just in marriage, but in the church. And Paul gets that. The Holy Spirit gets that. And so he's laying that out. And in that context, in verse 18, he says, I also want to say, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you know you were speaking to the person next to you this morning when you were singing? Did you know that? Do you know how you're speaking to them? Were you, were you doing this? That word's misspelled. Why did, what's that moving stuff in the back? I don't, are you not speaking to the person next to you? You are. Yes, you are. 
with your voice, your, your, your body. If you're, if you're lost in just seeing those words to God and you're embracing the truth that is there, are you saying something to the person next to you? You are. If you lean over and go, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom at? Are you saying something to the person next to you? Yeah, you are. And I just use that example. It can be a million different things, right? He says, I want you to speak to one another. I want you to communicate in the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs that you are singing and that realize you are making music from your heart to the Lord. How you worship in these moments as a group. You worship in the shower. You worship in the car. You worship, we can worship anywhere, right? We can, but when we're worshiping together as the body of Christ, our worship is speaking to the people on either side of us. If you're on your phone, you're saying something to the person next to you. Somebody was on their phone. They're looking at me like I just called them out. But I would never say Titus's name from the, the oh, sorry. If you're on your phone and you're on Facebook or whatever, you're, are we not? See, he, he's, he's addressing the church and this moment when we're together and he says be filled with the spirit speak to one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing making music from your heart to the lord giving thanks always giving thanks always for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus and i want to suggest to you that everything that he's saying are vitally important but i really believe he is setting us up for what's next he's preparing us for what he's about to say next do you see the word submitting Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In the recognition of who Jesus is. Now I personally think Paul is also in his mind as the Spirit's leading him. He's thinking about the example of Jesus and what he's done. And very possibly he's thinking about Jesus in John 13 where he's washing the feet of the disciples. The creator washing the feet of the created. Maybe he's thinking about Philippians 2 where Jesus felt that there's not, I'm not going to hold on to my position of glory in heaven. I'll remain God, but I'll come down and take on human form and I'll become a servant. And I'll submit myself to the mistreatment of my creation. I'll allow them to treat me this way and I will willingly submit to the cross. And all that came with it. Everything that he says, you can read that in chapter 5. Start with verse 1 and he comes and he's laying this all out, but he's coming to this point of submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, in the recognition of who Jesus is and what he's done. Or I could say, you realize that Jesus is the eternal God, right? He's the creator of everything we know, and yet he submitted. Have you not read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, not my will, but your will. What is that? That is submission. That is yielding. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then notice what he does. Wives, submit to your own husbands. He takes it to the marriage relationship. And this is interesting. He points out what this looks like in marriage. And again, if you're married, this is us. If you're not married, this is your future. This should be your future. And you shouldn't conceive. Do it with grace. It's, I, I, remember, I got broken up with several times. It still hurts. Uh, I know that, you know, that's tough. But break it off. If this conversation happens, and this is not in the plans, this is not in the heart of whoever it is that you're thinking about getting married to, if this is not how they're going to view marriage, break it off. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. You guys, that's hard. Can we just acknowledge that, men? Can we just acknowledge that, that if you're married, the woman that you're married to, this is what God has placed on her plate. Think about that, gentlemen. Think about who you are, how you are, as you go through your daily life and how you treat her. What God's put on her plate is this. Submit to your husband as the, the church submits to Jesus. As Jesus is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. That's hard. Because can we just acknowledge, guys, we're not always at our best. Okay, I got one slight head nod from the front row. Even Master Pat was frozen still. Pastor Matt, sorry. Can we just admit we're not always at our best? And there's no clause in here. Wives, submit to your husband. Yield to your husband. Surrender to your husband as you do to the Lord, as the church does. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Only when he is everything he should be. See, it's not in there. If you have that in your translation, I want to see it because it's not a good translation. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit, to yield to their husbands in everything. Wow, is that tough? Come on, ladies. Can you, you, this is your, it's tough, and I think we need to acknowledge that. We want, we, want to, we want to make it easier. We want to make the gospel, living out the gospel easier. You guys, it's not easy. It's not easy to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in broken, sinful bodies in a corrupt world. It's not. And there's going to be a million messages that are going to sound better than this. If we just be honest, they do. They appeal to a certain part of me that sounds to tell me as a wife, to tell me that I submit, I yield to my husband as if he's the Lord, I follow the example of what the church is told to do, that Jesus is the head of the church, and then it says right here that my husband is the head of me. That's hard. Have you met my husband? Becky will tell you. Yield. Now, come on, ladies. Instead of the yield sign, doesn't it often feel like that white flag? What's going to happen to me? Who's going to take care of me? He dresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Did you catch that? You go, oh, I, lo I love my wife. I like that part. Guys, with me? That's good, right? Can you love your wife? You, go, you with me? We're on the same page? Yeah? Matt, you on the page? Stop talking to your wife. Just love her. <laughs> that we, sorry. We, we, we can do that, right? We, Nate, you with me? Love your wife. All right, I like that. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Hold on. And gave himself for her. Now I'm not so happy. You tell me to love Becky, I'll love her. But really what he's saying in the word love, what is he saying? You die to self. You lay down your life. And in the same way that wives are told, you, you yield to your husband, you submit to your husband like the church submits to its head. Husbands, you love your wives in the way that Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He literally died. He suffered. Now you say, oh, you tell me to go, I'll throw myself out in front of a car, okay? Save my wife, okay, I'm with you, I would do that too. But what else did he do in laying down his life? How many times did he just keep his mouth quiet when he knew he was right and everyone else said he was wrong? 
Guys, can we do that? Do we always have to have an opinion? Yes, we do, but can we keep it inside? How many times was he falsely accused and he just accepted it? Can we love our lives that way, our wives that way? How many times did people put their own agenda ahead of his and wanted him to serve their agenda rather than his own, and he just graciously loved them? Guys, can we do that? See, it's not, it's not just the, I would die. It's daily life. Laying down your life, laying down yourself, dying to self. It's, it's not accidental that the imagery here is similar to the imagery that Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me as, as a disciple. You have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me instead of following yourself. Do you see the overlap? Husbands, deny yourself, pick up your cross. And I'm not saying your wife is your cross. Okay, I, don't want, I want to be really clear. But you pick, you've embraced the, the suffering, the sacrifice. And you follow what I want you to do, not what you want to do. And maybe, guys, if we can just be real, that's where the battle is. Because I know what I want to do. And if you ask me, most of the time I'll tell you that I know what I want to do is right. And her way is wrong. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He sacrificed everything for the church. He gave himself for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He made it possible for us, the church, the bride of Christ, to be transformed through the forgiveness and mercy of God. I am not the same person I was before I met Jesus Christ. And the imagery there is that, husbands, you should sacrifice yourself and give yourself in such a way to your wife that she is not the same person that she was before she married you. Holy, blameless. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor. Can I just, side note, guys, married guys, ask yourself, when was the last time you looked at your wife and you just said, wow, now that is splendor? And you tell her. Now, I'm, I, I, it sounds funny, I get it, but I'm, I'm being serious. When was the last time you told your wife, you are just splendorious? I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to make it a word. You are splendorious. Wow. I heard a guy years ago, a speaker, he talked about a violin, a Stradivarius, and you just went, when you saw it. When was the last time, guys, your wife walked in the room after an argument and you went, oh, wow. I know why we're laughing. The men are laughing because that's silly. And the wives are laughing because that's never happened in my lifetime. You know? But he, this, is, this is the love that Jesus has for the church to present us. And look at who he's talking about. He's talking about us. And all of our messed up, broken goofiness and he says, that's who I love, that's who I'm going to die for, that's who I'm going to sacrifice for, and look, I, she, the bride, can be splendor, splendorious. Now it's in my head. Splendorous, if that's a word. Sounds like an artificial sweetener. Splendous. Think about it. In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, you guys are listening way too slow. I, I want to encourage you to take a picture of these. Some of you, technology can do that. Write them down. But let me just give you some thoughts that I believe make submission so beautiful. We learn it from the life of Priscilla and Aquila. Number one, the beauty of submission is moving through hardship together. Write that down. 
Put it in your phone. Do something with it. If you're, if you're married and you're walking through a tough season, here's the beauty. The, the key to go through that hardship is in submission to God. Let's all just say amen to that. Amen. But then it's in submission to one another. It's walking through hardship together. They had lost everything in Rome in this new life, and they were still doing it together. Number two, the beauty of submission is working as one to advance God's mission. I hope the thing that stays with us is their pattern of their home. They just, it was like, you know, I know better. If I invite you over to watch the 49er game today, I need to tell my wife because she's, Becky's going to, well, what about the bathroom? Or what about the, you know, right now we have no kitchen. Our sink is torn out. Don't invite anybody over, you know. And we, and we, we figured that out, right? That we don't even see that. Maybe that took place, but it's like, of course we're going to do this. Of course we're going to do this. Of course, because what matters is the mission of God, not how inconvenient this is or how this is going to cramp our plans or whatever it might be. The beauty of submission, when we're in submission to one another, is that we work as one to advance God's mission, to make disciples here in Corinth or, or wherever it might be, Ephesus, Rome. Got to move on. Number three, the beauty of submission is celebrating the spotlight shining on others. Now, in this case, it, Paul is the superstar, right? I mean, Ananias, Ananias, I'm not talking about them, Aquila and Priscilla are just a blip in the gospel record. They really are. They're just kind of a, a blip. They're not insignificant, but they mostly show up in the, the, the greetings at the end of Paul's letters. Who's the superstar? Who's the one that's got the name recognition? It's the Apostle Paul. Who wrote the books? The Apostle Paul. And do you think Priscilla and Aquila are okay with that? I really do. I think they celebrated when, when people came to, the, to, to, came to faith in the gospel and a church is born in Corinth or a church is born in Rome or a church is born in Ephesus and Paul's the one that's kind of the, the point person. I think they're celebrating that. But that requires submission to your own taking your pride and what's mine and all. You with me? And putting that aside and saying, I don't care if it's, I'm in the spotlight. I just care that Jesus is in the spotlight. People are coming to know who Jesus is through this amazing guy, the Apostle Paul, and we're just going to support him. We're just going to support him any way we can. The beauty of submission is celebrating the spotlight shining on others. Whatever this is for. The beauty of submission is sacrificing self to serve others. I know it feels like that little white flag, that surrender, but it's really the other. It's really just yielding to someone else. It's really just following in the footsteps of Jesus. The beauty of submission is when we sacrifice ourselves. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. And wives, submit to your husband, yield to your husband, just as the church yields to Jesus and trust him. Number five, the beauty of submission is using what you have to build God's kingdom. I don't know what their house looked like, They'd left almost everything behind in Rome. I have no idea what it looked like, but I don't think it mattered. Then they get to another city, and they're, they're doing stuff in their home. They get to another city. They're do, do you see the pattern? It doesn't matter what the house looks like, does it? What matters is that they took people into their home, and they served them, and they ministered to them. They used what they had. Oh, boy, when we were in Rome, you should have seen the kitchen I had. You should have seen the courtyard we had at our home in Rome. Oh, I just wish we... doesn't show up, does it? That doesn't mean she didn't or he didn't go, oh boy, I missed that. 
But in spite of that, they used what they had to build God's kingdom. I love that they took Apollos into their home. That was a big deal in that time, in that part of the world. They didn't chastise him in public. They didn't pull him right where everybody could see. They said, hey, come in our house. Let's have lunch. Let's have a meal. And they ministered to him. The beauty of submission is this. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can we say amen to that? Amen. This is our Savior. This is our King. This is our friend. And he says, this is what it looks like to live a life of submission. So we've got to ask ourselves, this or this, this or that. And I want you to put yourself in whatever moment, whatever relationship you're struggling with. It could be a boss. It could be a spouse. It could be a teenage uh, relationship with your teenagers or grandkids. It could be a neighbor. It could be the person sitting next to you. Put yourself in that moment, and this is where I want to encourage us to start. What's our, what's our frame of mind? What's our perspective? You talk about submission and the beauty of submission. Start with this. Do you see submission as that? Yielding to someone? Or do you see it as I lose? If you're on the left, you're on the beginning pathway to experience the beauty of submission. If you're on the right, there needs to be a willingness to move over to the left. And I'm not talking politically, okay? Just, sorry, those words have been, those words have been hijacked. Over to the... You with me? Submission is beautiful. And we see it practiced in our Savior. And he's calling us to follow. Whether we're married, and this is an application to our marriages, or we're single, whatever our situation is, there is great beauty in submitting the way Jesus has modeled it for us. Amen. Amen.